Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Good morning. My name is Elizabeth. I grew up in a wonderful Christian home. I was safe. I was loved. I believed in Jesus. I got married to a high school teacher and we had two children. Then, because I didn't have enough to do, I decided that I wanted a third kid. Within 10 months, I had three miscarriages and I was absolutely devastated. And that is when I had to decide if I really believed in God. Was God really on my side? Did he honestly have a plan for my life? Over the next several months, I cried and prayed and read and listened, and I finally came to the point where I said, yes, I believe this, and I knew that I could be whole and content with or without another baby. And a little over a year later, I did have that third baby. She just turned three and is stubborn and cute and weird as anything. So that's it. No. <laughs> When my sweet baby was three months old, one morning the police swarmed into my home and arrested my husband. Remember, the high school teacher. It turns out that he had made some really horrible and inappropriate choices with two of his students, and he's now serving 20 years in prison. It's been almost three years. Today's actually my birthday. I'm 35, and my life looks nothing like I ever imagined. I did get divorced, but there's no animosity between us, and my kids have a good relationship with their dad. It is hard being a single mom. I get sad, I get overwhelmed, I make terrible decisions, but I am not afraid and I'm not angry. I know that grace triumphs and Jesus redeems. I have the peace and confidence that comes from knowing that I am a child of God and that in the end, everything will be okay. So if your life has fallen to pieces around you and you don't even know where to start, give Jesus a chance. He is absolutely wild about us and can make beautiful things out of our mess. Thank you for listening. You know, that's really what we're about here. It's, we're about changed lives, and, and it's so amazing to hear Elizabeth. And, you know, she talks with this sweet voice, and, you know, she just, you, you, if you weren't listening carefully, all of a sudden you're just like, bam, like, what? That happened to you? Your, your husband got put in prison, and, 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 and yet, what is it about her that's able to stand up here in front of all of you and still maintain joy, even in the midst of difficulty. It's not some kind of um, rosy outcome. It's still hard. But what she believes matters deeply to her. What she believes gives her hope. What she believes is a solid foundation for her to be able to look towards the future and say that God hasn't given up on me. The final page hasn't been written yet and that he loves me and he's gone all the way as Andrew so beautifully talked about with communion. He gave himself up for us. It's an amazing thing. But what you believe, what you believe matters. Life change doesn't happen in a vacuum, and it happens because of what we believe in our hearts to be true. So with that said, if you'd turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament, about a third of the way through the New Testament, or maybe about half, actually, maybe two-thirds of the way through, come to think of it. Um, if you've got a regular paper Bible, you can, or you can look in your, your phone or whatever else, but look at this passage. And what's going to happen today, what we're going to look at, is the writer, the Apostle Paul, is going to contrast two major conflicting ideas. One of them is going to be called the wisdom of the age. 
So he's going to mention that, and we're going to talk about what that means. And he's going to contrast that with the hidden wisdom or secret wisdom of God. And these two concepts are very, very important, and they matter to your life more than you can possibly know. And by the end, you'll see how powerful each of them is. And our challenge is going to be understanding why, and understanding first how the wisdom of the age seeps into every area of our life today, and yet how important the secret wisdom of God is. So, let's read this, and we'll talk about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 6, says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. What do we mean when we say wisdom of the age? What is he trying to, to say? Well, there's several aspects of it, if you can understand the concept. The first of all, the wisdom of the age is something that dominates Every area of life, it dominates the thinking of a culture with such a force that the culture doesn't even know it's there. It's an idea that is so powerful that you take it as a given and you can't imagine life without it. Secondly, it is all-pervasive. It's an assumption that drives the rules of behavior and finds its way into every nook and cranny of life. And so it's almost like the, the wisdom of the age is to the culture what, what water is to a fish. You, you can't convince a fish that it, you can't, it's hard to describe to a fish what water would be because they'll say, you live in a bowl and there's a world outside. They, wouldn't under, they don't understand. I mean, fish, water is the environment for fish. It's all they know. And in the same way, the spirit or the wisdom of the age, I'll use those phrases interchangeably, the wisdom of the age is all we know. We can't really understand anything and it affects everything all around us. Third, the wisdom of the age becomes the golden rule or the great commandment of the culture. It, there, there's, a, there's a rule that is developed, and you better not break it. You better not break it. And that leads me to the fourth thing about the wisdom of the age, and that is this. There are consequences for challenging it. If you run up against the wisdom of the age, the golden rule of culture, if you run up against it, and if you challenge it, you're going to pay a price. It will cost you. These are characteristics of the wisdom of the age. And so if we look at our culture, what is the wisdom of our age? What is the water that we're swimming in? What, are the thing, what is the thing that we believe more than anything else? What would the great commandment or the golden rule of our culture be? The easiest way that I could summarize it is to be able to say this. All truth is relative. That the golden rule, or actually the wisdom of our age, is that there really is no objective truth. That truth is found inside of the heart of the individual. That it's not really outside of us, it's only within us. And it's up to that individual to decide what is true for them. And so the golden rule, or great commandment of our culture, then, following that, would be this. Thou shalt not... Tell thy neighbor that they are wrong. That is the great commandment of our culture. Thou shalt not tell thy neighbor that they are wrong. Why? Because who are you to say? Who are you to say that somebody else is wrong? 
You're just one person. You have your truth. They have their truth. And how dare you tell them that what they think and how they feel and what they believe is wrong. Because there is no standard of truth. It is ultimately up to the individual. That, my friends, is the water we swim in like a fish in the ocean. That is the wisdom of the age. That is the all-pervasive, prevailing thought that dominates our culture in all types of ways. In fact, it even finds its way into parenting. You see, well-meaning parents will say things like, I don't want to influence my children's decisions about believing in God. I don't want them to have any kind of manipulation for me, so I'm going to be neutral because I want them to decide for themselves. I don't want to give them any kind of guidance that way. And there are parents that will do this and say this, many of them. Maybe perhaps you're one of them. But isn't that strange? I mean, would parents say the same thing about teaching their kids about fire? You know what I mean? Like, little Johnny, you know, when it comes to playing with matches, I, I just, I don't want to tell him how to approach all that, you know? I just want to kind of, I would not want to squash his inner pyromaniac. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's just some drives in there, and I don't want to squelch those. I would feel bad. Or what about when it comes to strangers? Hey, little Jenny, if you're playing in the park, and some guy named Chester driving a white van with no windows on the sides... If he drives by and he offers you candy, just, just do in your heart what you feel in that moment is right. You know, I don't want to influence your decision in any way because, you know, you really might, you might have a little spark of, of inspiration and, and I'm just going to let you, because you know best. I, I, don't, I would hate to influence your, your thinking at all in that area. No parent does that. It'd be like the dumbest parent in the world to do that. Why is it then, when it comes to teaching our kids about God, does the spirit of the age kick in and parents will routinely say, I just don't want to influence the thinking of my child at all in this area. I want what they know about God to come from them, what they believe about God to come from them. And I just hate to be in it because who am I? I'm just one little soul traveling all over through this aimless universe. And who knows, what do I know that anybody else knows? And so the message that the child gets is very clear. Whatever you decide to be true about God is what is true about God. I mean, think about that. Whatever you think is true about God is true about God because truth is wrapped up in you. This is the prevailing thought of the age. And it has a level of control over our society in ways that we don't even realize. And it's had a dramatic and massive effect on even the most basic things. For example, the law that was recently passed redefining what marriage is. The highest law or the highest court in the most powerful country in the history of human existence in just several years has transformed what, what humanity has believed about marriage since its inception. 
everybody knows, whether you liked it or not, or, or, or followed it or not, or practiced it or not, everybody knew intuitively that marriage was between a man and a woman. Everybody, every culture's practiced that, albeit perhaps in different forms, but everybody's, pra- everybody's realized that the basic building block of society had to do with a family which constituted a man and a woman. Everybody, without question, has known that. How in the world did the most powerful society in all of human history with the greatest influence all of a sudden turn that on its head by its highest court? How did it happen? The answer is simple. Because the court itself believes in the great commandment of culture, which is thou shalt not tell thy neighbor they are wrong. Who are we wearing these black robes and sitting in this high court with all of our legal knowledge, the brightest minds in the world that history can produce? Who are we to tell these people what they are to think about their relationship, what they are to think about a societal con? We can't do that. Why? Because the culture says you can't. Because the wisdom of the age says, who are you to tell this person that they're wrong? 5,000 years of human history. Altered like that. Because of the wisdom of the age. They buy it hook, line, and sinker, baby. And it continues on. The march continues on into gender. So now, we know in popular culture, that the body parts that you are born with are irrelevant. It does not matter. If you are a man who wants to be a woman and you believe in your heart you are a woman, then, then the God-honest truth is you're a woman. Why? Because the wisdom of the age says you shall not tell your neighbor that they are wrong. So if they want to be a woman, they're a woman. It doesn't matter. So now the wisdom of the age has found its way into sports. Are you aware that there are weightlifting records, female weightlifting records that are being shattered? Because men who are altering themselves to become more like women and are competing in women's divisions are shattering them. And God help you. God help you if you say, um, is that... Is that fair to the women, women? Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Because if you do that, you're speaking against the wisdom of the age. And you're not allowed to say that. You are not allowed to say that. Do not break our golden rule. Now, I got to ask you, is this conversation bugging you? You feeling a little uneasy? You kind of fidgeting in your seat, maybe picking up your little program and reading about, right? Why? Because Pastor Tim, Pastor Tim, I, I love you, but you're 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 skating close to the line of propriety. You're saying stuff that we don't say anymore. Don't you know we're live streaming? There are people that are listening to this. We don't know who. We don't know who, but there's people. Are you? You're going to get us in trouble. You're not supposed to talk like that anymore. Are you feeling? Are you feeling just a little uncomfortable? Are you feeling just? Because if you are, 
And it's a little awkward, right? You know what that is? That's the wisdom of the age pushing down on you, pushing down on you saying, you cannot violate our golden rule. Do not speak out against it because it'll be defended. Oh yeah, baby, it'll be defended at all costs. You see, the wisdom of the age says, thou shalt not tell thy neighbor they are wrong. And so when you stand up and say, I'm not sure you're right, you violate that rule. And thus, when you violate a law against another person, you have committed an offense against that person, thus making that person a victim. And so we have a culture of victimization because people feel that the truth inside of them has been threatened by outside voices. And when I am a victim, I've experienced victimization. And victimization is the grounds for justification. Justification of retaliation and revenge and violence and whatever it takes to make what was made wrong right. So look for litigation. Look for more rules. Look for more lines to be drawn about what can and cannot be said because we will do what we have to do to defend our precious, precious rule that governs our society and found its way even into the basic building block of what makes humanity, humanity. Our gender and our relationships There is nothing else for it to permeate. It is all-encompassing in our culture, and if you dare go against it, you will pay a price. So, the thing we need to understand, and if you've been coming here for a while, you know, you know, that we do everything we possibly can to reach out, to blend with our culture, to mirror our culture, to make Jesus understandable to our culture. We live in the world. We love the world. We don't, we don't separate ourselves from the world. We're not that kind of church. We try to make sense to the world as much as possible. But please understand this. The wisdom of the age will never, ever be compatible with what we believe and teach here at Compass Church. It never will. In fact, it will clash and it will clash violently. Now there are some well-meaning churches and Christians and groups who in the name of, of, of trying to, to bridge this gap, well-meaning trying to bridge the gap will say there's a way we can do it that if if we just change it a little bit if we just change the 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 understanding of the wisdom of god just a little bit then then maybe we won't get ostracized maybe we won't get get accused of of being judgmental and, and mean and all these things maybe and so what you end up with is you end up with a jesus who's not the savior of the world because that's offensive because the savior implies there's someone who needs to be saved and to be saved means you're at a deficit and if you tell someone that they're at a deficit that's going to make them mad and you're not allowed to do that so you end up with a jesus who's not really a savior he's kind of like an example you know he's a good guy like uh, Gandhi or Martin Luther King. He's like one of those guys. 
You end up with a, a, a heavenly father who's not really holy. He's not really righteous and pure. He's not really worthy of all of my worship. He's just kind of like a permissive parent, you know, cheering you on from the sidelines. I'll be your co-pilot. Whatever you need, I'm there for you. Then you have a Holy Spirit. Who doesn't make dead people live. He makes pretty good people a little bit better. It ain't us. It ain't us. And then we're never going to be that. Because we can't. See, the, the, the only time you can violate the law of thou shalt not tell, or thou shalt not tell the neighbor they are wrong, is when your neighbor tells you you're wrong. Then you're in trouble. You see, the only, the only truth that exists outside of us is that there is no truth that exists outside of us. That's what they'll say. You have to understand, the only thing that we can trust in that's universal for everyone, is that there is nothing you can trust in that is universal for everyone. You have a headache? Yeah? Yeah? I'm telling you, I, I've had conversations with people where I've said, listen, you, you, there's a logical fallacy here. You're, you're, you're telling me that, that I have to believe something when you say that no one can tell someone they have to believe something. Help me with that. And they go, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're, you're being offensive. Blah, 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 blah. And the emotions come and everything else. And it's because of the pervasiveness. So we have to ask ourselves, then what is ours? If the wisdom of the ages, thou shalt not tell the neighbor they are wrong, what is our wisdom? What is, what is our narrative? So this is what Paul says. He says in verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So it predates everything. It's, it's, it doesn't change with history. It's not a living document it is established once for all unchangeable before any of us came along to give our opinion about it number eight or verse eight none of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had they would not have crucified the lord of glory but as it is written what no eye has seen no ear heard nor the mind of man imagined what god has prepared for those who love him these things god has revealed to us through the spirit See, they're not just, you can't deduce them through logical reasoning. It's so funny. And, and, and I just, I only poke fun at university stuff because I have utmost respect for education. I did plenty of it. I, you know, I got my doctorate and I'm still doing stuff. I mean, I love learning. But the educational, the, the people in the academic bubble, God love them. So many of them have become so inflated with themselves. I put on Facebook something that I posted something, a, a, a little video about how the idea of, of you can't, if you, if you don't believe in God, you can't say that murder is wrong. And I posted that, and some troll guy came along, and he's like, you Christians are so weak-minded. And he said, he said you know, oh, it takes a university-educated person to know that a word like good is incoherent. And I just commented back and said, yes, you're absolutely right. Only a university-educated person would come to the conclusion that the word good is incoherent, right? Yeah, that's it. That's, they're the only type of people that are going to end up with that thought because it takes a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of time spent in a bubble regurgitating the, the ideas of professors to come to such an idiotic conclusion. And you probably borrowed a lot of money to do it too. But 
But don't worry. You can pay it off in nice, easy monthly installments until <laughs> you're dead. But here's what you have to understand. For all the claims, for all the claims of relativism and all the claims of tolerance and all the claims of can't we just get along and all the claims of, you know, don't, don't tell this person they're wrong. Let them believe what they want to believe and all the goodness and well-meaning and, 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 and heart-filled, like I just don't want anyone to, 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 to be oppressed and all of that stuff. What lies just under the surface of all that, and you guys have to understand, the other side of that coin is the darkness of nihilism. Underneath relativism is nihilism. And the word nihilism means nothing. It's, it's nothingism. Nothingism. Why? Because the reason that we say, when, you, when the real reason we say live and let live, the real reason we say, hey, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and his truth is his truth, is because what we really believe at the core of it all is that we can't know anything about anything, and there's nothing at the end, so it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter because it's not true anyway. It doesn't matter because it's going to have no point at the end anyway. We are all on this march to oblivion, so do what you're going to do, man. You want to shoot up on drugs? You should be able to shoot up on drugs. You want to question your gender? You should be able to question your gender. It's not worth fighting for. It's not worth having a conversation about. It's not worth thinking deeply about. It's worth letting people do whatever they want because we all know we can't know, and so let's not kill each other on the way off the cliff to oblivion. Let's just hold hands and embrace the suck, baby, because we don't know and you don't know because at the end of the day, if there is someone out there, he hasn't made himself known to us. And he's not worth looking into. Because anyone worth looking into would have made himself known to us. Bite the bullet, man. There's nothing. So think what you want. Who cares? At the core of relativism is nihilism. And it's produced generations of spiritual orphans. Angry, addicted, and cynical people who wander the earth disconnected from the one who created and loves them. But here's God's secret wisdom. And this is the gist of what I want to tell you today. All of God's secret and hidden wisdom is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. All of the secret and hidden wisdom of God. If you want to know what is true, if you want to know everything there is to know about the character and the heart and the will and the power and the glory of God, look no further than the person and the work and the fact of Jesus Christ and his arrival on this earth and what he did when he got here. Just look at that. Why? Because Paul says if they would have understood the wisdom of God, the rulers of the age would never have crucified him. Because if they would have understood that God himself is a God who loves us with this power that is indescribable, that he's not a God that wants to show himself with lightning bolts and crazy things out in the sky or scare us with crazy things or show us to be this large figure that we can't relate to. No, if they would have realized that the heart of God is one that he wants to love us so much and when you love someone, you make yourself known to them in a language that they can understand. When you have a little kid, you don't say, hey, little kid, if you want a hug, you're going to have to figure out how to get up here because I ain't going down there. 
No, no whack parent does that. What a parent does is a parent gets down on their hands and knees and gets to the level of the child and says, come here, let me give you a hug where you are. Let me look in your eyes where your eyes are. Let me play with you with your toys on the ground where you are. Let me play the games that you like to play so you understand that, that, that I, I'm so much more than all that, but I'm willing to come down because I want you to see me and to know me and to know that I love you. If a parent, if billions of parents do that with their own children, and yet we, we sit there and go, I don't know where that came from. You don't think that a God would do the same thing? And what Paul's saying is if these guys would have just opened their eyes and seen that the heart of God is tender. The heart of God comes in humility and genuineness, not in power and manipulation, because people don't like those who come in power and manipulation. No one likes those people, so why would God show up like that? No one relates to those people, so why would God show up like that? And they said if they just would have seen, if they would have had real wisdom and really known and looked around and said, this is the heart of God, they never would have done with him what they did to him, but instead they killed him. That was a fail. Underneath all of this, is a God who is enthusiastically crazy about his people. He loves them with a love that millions sometimes, millions of times stronger than the love that you have for even your favorite child. Not you have a favorite child, I'm just kidding. We all love them the same. You can't even understand the love that God has for you. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a shadowy, uh, metaphorical uh, copy that you have for your own child uh, that, that you can kind of understand, but it goes so much further. So, the other night, I saw Logan, the movie. Now, I'm not much of a Marvel guy. Um, I don't really read all the comic books, so I don't know the whole, I mean, some of you guys, you know the whole backstory, and it's a saga that goes on for generations. I, I don't know. So, um, but I went and saw it, and it was a great movie. Um, and uh, anyway, so I'm going to give you, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm gonna, so you're going to have a little bit of a spoiler alert right now. So I apologize in advance. However, if you're really a Marvel fan, you probably would have seen the movie by now. So, sorry. But if you're really freaked out, you can always just put your hands over your ears and pray or something so you, I don't give it away. But, it, but most of you, if you're like me, you're not really familiar with all this stuff. But it's about the Wolverine who's like this hero guy. He's called a mutant, basically. And he's this kind of really strong, powerful guy that, that self-heals so he can get shot. And the little slugs kind of fly out of his chest and everything. He just, he heals up. And he's got these claws that come out of his knuckles. And he's just like, they're really sharp. And it's crazy. He can run people through. And he's cutting their heads off and slashing them. And it's crazy, right? And so, so that's basically, he's got these powers, and nobody wants to mess with this guy. Well, so here he is, and he's kind of having a difficult time in the beginning of the movie, and all of a sudden there's this little girl that shows up. Well, this little girl's got the same powers as well. She's got these claws that come out like this, and she's got this ability to heal, and she's super strong, and she's scared. Little kids are scary when they're like that, because they're supposed to be sweet, and then they're like, cut people's heads off, and you're like, Ugh. it's like cognitive dissonance in your brain, like, but she's so cute, you know? But anyway, so she's this crazy superhero kind of person like he is. But here's the problem. She has no idea where she came from, who she is, and she's got the whole world coming after her. She's got, you know, all these scientists that want to capture her, you know, these crazy guys, and they get these military militia people that dress in black and run around, and I don't even know where it all comes from. But the point is, the whole world's after her, and she's got no chance. She doesn't know who she is. All she knows is this. She's got to make it home. And home for her, ironically, is a place called Eden. 
So she's just making it to Eden. She'll be okay. She knows this. But she's stone-faced, man. Doesn't talk, nothing. All she knows is she's defending herself. She's pretty good at it. But she's getting overwhelmed. And the Wolverine comes along, and they got the same powers, right? Same everything. And they start to go on this little journey. Of course, he's very reluctant at first because he's got his own issues. But finally, he realizes that he needs to de- dedicate himself to this little girl's safety and her care. And so when this little girl begins to realize that before, she had no one, no one in the world. Everyone was against her. And all of a sudden, she realized there's someone who's looking out for her. And so little by little, as the movie progresses, she starts to melt. The little shell around her starts to kind of crack a little bit because she realizes there's this guy that's looking out for her. Finally, here's the spoiler part. At the end of the movie, Wolverine, he gets injured bad. I mean, he's like mortally wounded. He's all messed up. It's bad, right? And what he's trying to do is he's almost got her. He's almost got her where she needs to be. He's almost got her home. But he gets wounded in, in, in trying to save her. So he's laying there, dying. Finally, this girl who's been stone-faced, who's been angry, who's been all alone, cynical, runs over to him, tears down her face, and she says, Daddy, Daddy, please don't die. Daddy, please don't die. And he's looking at her, and he realizes the power of a father. And she's looking at him. She found her father. She realizes that's who he is. It's where she came from. It's where she belongs. And she's looking at this figure who she never thought was possible. She never thought that her father would come and give everything that he possibly had. There was nothing more he could give so that she could what? Find her way home. To Eden. And I'm watching that movie. And I'm going, God needs to sue these Hollywood people for intellectual property rights. Because they totally stole a page out of his book. They stole a lot of pages out of his book. That's the story. You and I, mutants, messed up. Some of you feel like you had the whole world coming after you. You ever felt like you had an enemy of your soul? It's very common. You ever felt like, like, like everything's coming after you? And you get to that place in your life where you're so cynical because you go, you know what? There's no one looking out for me. There's no one who can help me. I got everyone coming. I get the whole world against me, and there's no one coming to help me. And all of a sudden, this figure comes out of the blue who loves you, who is one of you who you see as your father and who will give everything to take you home where you belong. That's our story. The problem is there's a whole group of people out here who know it. I mean, come on. Hollywood produces these movies all the time. All the time. All the time, they they produce movies about redemption because we cry out for it. And there's one group of people over here in the wisdom of the age who go, there's no one like that. Believe whatever you want to believe, want to believe because that guy doesn't exist. And there's a whole group of other people over here 
who believe in the secretism of God and say, why is it that humanity cries out for him? It's the greatest tragedy in the world if that guy doesn't exist because you people keep crying out for him because you make, keep making stories that depict this human struggle. There is someone. There is someone who came to rescue you. There is someone who's there. There is someone who became one of us. And all of God's love and all of God's genius is wrapped up in him. And it is not by climbing the ladder so that you can reach him. It is about him coming down. It is about grace. It is about him taking off of your shoulders all of your sin and your shame and your regret. So you don't be like these people who are like these, you know, um, almost self-congratulatory walking around like, yeah, if you knew all the things I've done, oh, I'm such a terrible person. No, I could never go into church. There'd be somebody, you know, I'd get a lightning bolt, you know, from God that would electrocute me. Yeah, I'd never fit in with those people, blah, 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 blah. And it's almost like prideful, like, I just, I'm just too far gone, man. I'll never be forgiven. It's like, shut up. Don't you see that, that our story says that the reason Jesus was crucified was exactly for people like you and me? What are you all groveling and, and, and complaining and be all negative about? Get over yourself. You're not that, you know, different from the rest of us. So get over yourself. Don't walk around in guilt the whole life, your whole life. If you're distanced from God, it's not his fault. It's yours, baby. Because I don't know what else he could do. Seriously. I don't know what else he could do. If you had a better plan, why don't you come up here and tell me? I'll give you $1,000 if it's better. Well, I'll have to ask my wife first. <laughs> but you can't. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this. Now when the sinner is brought to the court, Jesus appears there himself. He stands to answer the accusation. He points to his side, his hands, his feet, and challenges justice to bring anything against the sinners whom he represents. He pleads his blood and pleads so triumphantly, being numbered with them and having a part with them, that the judge proclaims, let them go their way. Deliver them from going down into the pit, for he hath found a ransom. Our Lord Jesus was numbered with the transgressors in order that they might feel their hearts drawn toward him. Who can be afraid of one who is written in the same list with us? Surely we may come boldly to him and confess our guilt. He who is numbered with us cannot condemn us. And that is the secret wisdom of God, that God became numbered among us. He became one of us, and the sin of the world was thrown on him, so he is indistinguishable from us. And his sacrifice sets us free. He didn't send an emissary or an ambassador to do that for him. He himself came, because that's who he is. That is the heart of God. And it's the cynic And it's the orphan who stands over here and goes, nah, nah, that didn't happen. Nah, that's stupid. Okay. Okay. But I'm over here because I need, if this isn't true, I might as well just put a bullet in my head right now. Because if this isn't true, then nothing matters. 
nothing, nothing, nothing matters. So, we want to challenge, I want to challenge you to be able to try to be someone who embraces this message in very practical ways too. You know, in two weeks from now, we have Easter weekend. And in a few moments, we're going to show you a video that kind of gives you some uh, direction and facts and what, what we're going to do. But our whole theme is going to be water, basically, that Jesus is living water, not just water that you have to go back and drink more of, but water that can last forever, that can quench your spiritual thirst. It's really going to be cool. And so we're going to have baptism, and we're going to try to do all these things with water. And the main thing we're going to do is we're going to try to um, donate as much, we're going to donate more water than has ever been donated in a single donation to the All Faith Food Bank. So we're going to challenge everybody to bring a case of water with them. And so um, even when you go out and invite your friends, so you have those flyers on your seats, even when you go out and invite your friends, say, hey, part of what we're doing when you come, can you please bring a case of water and help us? Can you help us make a difference? Because we're actually trying to, we want to donate um, a thousand cases of water um, to, the, uh, to the food bank and thus beating the previous record, which uh, I think was set by the Abrezzo Hospital over here. So um, no offense to our friends at the hospital, but we're going to try to one-up them because we're competitive people and that's what we want to do. We called and said, what's the, be- what's the largest number of bottles of water you got? We want to beat that. So that's our goal. Anyway, so we were going on the information they gave us. But the whole point is this. We want you to be out there and engaging people that you know with this message because you know what? It's serious business, guys. Now, how do I respond to this? There's two ways. Number one, see, there are some of us who've been living in the wisdom of the age, but I'm going to tell you right now, you need to contend with the fact of Jesus. You need to contend with the fact of his arrival and what he's done and what he's claimed. Because, you know, here's the thing. I don't, you don't have to be a Christian. I, I got plenty of friends that aren't Christians. But you know what I don't like, personally, I don't respect, is people that go like this. And they go, I don't want to deal with it because I'd rather be living over here. And I'm just going to throw my arrows and throw my criticisms, but I'm not really going really to actually contend with the fact and the reality and the truth. I'm not going to contend with it. I'm going to stay over here where I can keep doing what I want to do and living how I want to live. If you're, in other words, if you're not even willing to investigate it because you're afraid, I mean, I, you know, no offense, but I just think this, I think you're kind of being a chump to do. I think it's pretty weak, you know? I mean, I respect you if you look at it and go, hey, I read everything, I'm just not buying it. Fine. It's your right. But to say, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, that's a fear of the unknown. That's not cool. So you need to do what you need to do. But I'm drawing a line in the sand, and I'm telling you, I think the whole wisdom of the age is crap. I think this whole idea that, you know, who are you to say, all this kind of stuff, I think, I think that's, People don't even really believe that in their hearts. It's, it's, that's a crutch. You know what I'm talking about? Crutches, that's a crutch. That's an excuse. It's a defense mechanism. And I don't buy it. So, I'm just being real with you. The second thing is this. If you, if you are a Christian and you have found this already, then your job is this. You need to help others find their way home. See, the fact of the matter is it's a serious business. The clock is ticking. And, and, and you've been shown something by other people. You, you didn't become a Christian because you just were born that way. Please don't ever say, I was born Christian. No, you, you might have been born, you know, like, uh, you know, black or white or Asian or, you know, whatever. I was born part Lithuanian. Who cares? You know, that might be your ethnicity. 
But you're not born Christian, you know. No one's born Christian. We're born separated from God. So someone had to come along and tell you. You got people in your life right now who don't know. You got people in your life over here who are like, yeah, whatever. And it's not because may, they may be the nice people in the world. They just don't know. Who's going to tell them? You. Well, I'm not, a, I'm not a very good orator. I don't care. You don't have to be. But you need to go before the throne of God and you need to plead the case of your friends and your family and your neighbors and the people you work with. Because they're thinking, you know what? You can't know. You can't know what's true. This, there's, there isn't really any God that, that wants to rescue me. Nah. So I'll just do the best I can do. Maybe drugs are the, look, no one should do drugs, but hey, feels pretty good. Maybe that's the best we can get. Nobody should be addicted to, to porn, but hey, it's kind of fun. Maybe it's the best we can get. But all, look, what does it matter? We're all marching to oblivion anyway. Your friends and your family are better than that. Who's going to reach them? You. So go before God and say, God, do whatever you have to do in my life. God, can you, can you, can you, use, can you use my words, my actions? Can you develop strategic conversations so that somehow, some way, they can see that, that you did make yourself real and use me the way you use other people to reach me? Let's not be content to let the people around us drown in the choking waters of the wisdom of the age. Because if they really knew, if they really knew the love of God, who knows? They may run after it with all they've got. But let's give them the chance. Bow your heads and pray with me if you would. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you're saying, you know what? It, you, you're right. I, I've been kind of, I, I've been believing all of this stuff and, and yet if it's true that there is a God who really does love me, who really reached out to me and and if it's true that we want it so bad as human beings that we, we write stories about it and make movies about it, that we got to find our way home. And I, I've never done that before. Today I want to do that. If, you, if that's you, just tell God. Say, God, today I, I, I believe and I give my heart to you. I believe that you became one of us. That you as Jesus paid for my sins on the cross. He set me free. Then I don't have to walk in guilt anymore. That I can have a new life now. That I can be reborn now. That I can start over now. I believe that. And so I receive your gift of grace into my heart. For the rest of us who are already Christians, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, you know, I've been mad at the culture. I've been angry at the culture. I've been wanting to stay away, but this is not the time to stay away. This is the time to turn around and to engage the spirit and the wisdom of the age. This is the time to challenge it. This is the time to speak into it and to say, wait a second, wait a second. It's time to fight. And not for yourself, but for the people that you love and the people that God loves. And at least give those around you the same chance you yourself were given, and that is to hear clearly about the love of God. That's why you are where you are, and that's why who you have around you is who you have around you. So God, we acknowledge that there is a wisdom of the age, but we also acknowledge, as the scripture says, it will pass away. It is doomed. 
And God, only what you have ordained from the beginning will prevail. And so God, while we are grateful that we know this, we, our hearts are discontented that, that those in our life do not. And if we love them, we will tell them. If we love them, we will show them. So God, help us. Help us to be people who can see through the lies and see truth for what it is and speak it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.